Welcome to Wielding Legacy. My name is Laura Payne Stanley. This podcast is for high achievers, visionaries, creatives, coaches, and consultants. Because the key, the key, the key to unlocking your future lies in legacies. You see, I know you are here creating an impact in your industry. You are here building a legacy for you and your family. And it drives you and it occupies your mind. But through my work as a trusted advisor to extraordinary entrepreneurs, I know you aren't yet reaching your greatest potential in business, your performance, and potentially in relationships. I'm known with my clients for being their loudest cheerleader. I often believe in them even before they do so themselves. And yet you can't enroll me in your legacy limiting story. I'm your biggest empowering challenger as you create your ultimate legacy. This podcast is called Wielding Legacy because the key to unlocking your future lies in legacies. Welcome to today's Wielding Legacy conversation. And today I'm welcoming a lady who really does bring zest into business and any room that she is in. An amazing visual brand specialist, Nisha Hack. I feel like legacy is something that's greater than you. I think a lot of people can feel very singular in entrepreneurship or it's all about me, me, me. Um, but I feel like legacy is about, is more than you, it's bringing people together and is showcasing um, a light where, you know, it might not have been shown before. My mum was very supportive uh, and my dad just didn't really know how to support me, but he obviously loved me and he wanted me to do well and kind of follow my passion. But it was just completely alien to kind of where my family come from. In this episode, we're discussing breaking family and cultural narratives and norms, especially when it comes to creating a legacy that is true to ourselves. This includes the power of tenacity and finding your passion at a young age. So welcome to the next episode of Wielding Legacy. And I am delighted today to welcome a lady that I have known for a number of years in quite a few different kind of functionalities, let's say. And she is always a joy to have in the room. So welcome to the podcast, Nisha Hack. Thank you. And I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's dive straight in. So what does legacy mean to you? I feel legacy is, it's a big word. So I'm just going to break it down a little bit. I feel like legacy is something to pass on for generations. And that something is whether it's your knowledge, whether it's your um, just your aura, your just essence of who you are and whether that's something that you can impart on other people. Wisdom, huge part of it. And also, I think it's an element of like representation as well, kind of showcasing there's more to every generation is more not even just generation even it's just within that just within communities I feel like legacy is something that's greater than you I think a lot of people can feel very singular in entrepreneurship or it's all about me 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 um but I feel like legacy is about is more than you is bringing people together and is showcasing um a light where you know it might not have been shown before um so for me legacy is really important because I feel like there's still so much to do still so much to yes. give still so much to explore and experience and for other people who haven't been as fortunate as me to go in that journey if there's something I could do to help them with that um, and encourage people um, I feel that's what legacy really means at the heart of it I think 
Oof. And we were talking just before we started recording about how big a term legacy can feel, how grown up almost a term it can feel yeah. too. How is legacy? It feels like you have to be older. <laughs> it feels like you have to be older. <laughs> I do kind of like that. I feel like we're not old enough to, like, <laughs> to say legacy or to use that word legacy, but um, <laughs> it's interesting because you said about representation. And then we've just said about actually not feeling necessarily old enough to talk about legacy. What, when it comes to representation and legacy, did you see growing up? Did you see people who you identified with creating a legacy that you would love to create that inspired you way outside of what you were already thinking as a child? No, unfortunately, I didn't. I, re- I didn't see many people who looked like me or who identified similar to me um, when I was growing up. So it was it was quite, um, yeah, I suppose that it was quite a, a bit of an internal battle to kind of get over those uh, barriers and to get over kind of just those insecurities and that lack of confidence because I didn't see didn't really see that representation growing up um and definitely now more I'm seeing a lot more kind of South Asian representation or just kind of more young females just doing their thing or just people of color um just really kind of breaking through that and just showcasing yeah you can be all these different things you don't have to be this one set thing of what society kind of expects you to or the kind of harmful stereotypes you kind of see about people um that kind of look the way that I do so it's just nice to know that yeah there are now that I'm in the community and I'm starting to see a lot more representation in the media it's it does feel good to like yeah no this not just me out there there's loads of other people out there and it's okay <laughs> there's also that permission element of like oh yeah no it's okay to do that you know um but yeah definitely in my family um you know my family are um more subscribed to nine to five they worked in education um that kind of like job for life kind of thing um so when I said oh I wanted to start my own business and be an entrepreneur I was like what no alien um it just wasn't really done in the family no one had done it before so they're very supportive but it just they just didn't know how to support me because they hadn't experienced it or they didn't know anyone who had. So it was very much learning by myself and just kind of finding the right people around me to help me with that journey. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. So um, listeners, and if you're watching the podcast, go back to the episode for, with Chelsea Abril. And Chelsea was also talking about as she was growing up that she didn't see anybody who looked like her um, or who she identified with having the kind of success that even she inspired she inspired to be then as a child but also even bigger than she aspired to be so she had role models who didn't look like her because they had an essence of who she wanted to be but she couldn't find anybody growing up in Hawaii who looked like her and, and she identified she said I don't I didn't see anyone who was brown growing up in a certain way creating a legacy creating a life that meant I could do it too who gave me permission and inspired me to do it. So that's almost what you're saying, mm-hmm. isn't it, Nisha? Is that permission because someone's done it before you? Yeah, and just also kind of knowing that it's not weird or strange or odd, like it's normal. <laughs> just normalizing that, yeah, I could be an entrepreneur, I can start my business or be a creative photographer. And, you know, you get this kind of stereotypes where, it, especially kind of my industry, being photography is very male dominated. Um, and you kind of even going for my course I did a photography degree 
and it's weird because the degree was I'd say predominantly kind of like two-thirds female and one-third male in terms of the actual class but then in terms of the industry and and the kind of when you start to work in it it's predominantly more men so it's kind of like you kind of go for the education system thinking oh yeah there's a lot more creative females uh, but when you actually work as your own boss or work in the industry you're kind of like oh where all the females are yeah, um, where, where did everyone go <laughs> yeah yeah so it kind of it was a bit weird mm. but I did transition into starting a business and um kind of getting into that business world or just the photography world um but I definitely feel like I found now that being in the, the industry for a good seven years or so I definitely feel like I found my space and found the kind of right people to surround myself with and have that support and everything I want to pick up something you said, which is around you being the first entrepreneur in a family. And this is around generational narratives and legacy narratives we can have about what we should do. You know, what's kind of almost Mm. that. Even if no one says it to us advertly, you should. And sometimes we have that narrative too. But if people don't say you should do this, we can have these unwritten generational narratives of expectations of what we should do whether it's before, even if we go to university or after university, what we should do next. How did yeah. that uh, manifest for you, Nisha? What, what were your generational narratives and how did you, you know, for our listeners, how did you help change that generational narrative if you were the first entrepreneur in your family? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. Uh, it's something that reflecting back on, I'm really glad I managed to to navigate through that I hadn't realized how hard it was when you're in it you don't realize how hard it is but kind of looking back at it again oh that, that, that was hard <laughs> but, but I think um so I suppose I'll just give you a kind of a bit of a background um so my dad he's been um a lecturer at college all his life uh and my I've got an older brother he's three and a half years older than me and very much following my father's footsteps and like he's He's just finished his PhD and kind of similar to my dad and very much the academic route. You go into university, you get the education and you work in education and you teach all that kind of stuff. And my mum also works in college as well. So surrounded by that and this academia and don't get me wrong, I loved academia at school. I was one of those kids that just wanted to get A's or <laughs> whatever. And if I got anything less than that, it was a failure. Um, so it's just kind of go, coming through that kind of mentality and kind of thinking, okay, I need to do like, I know, humanities course or I know something that was had a proper job or something that was, you know, give you a stable income or something or a career. So when I started to express, um, I'm interested in photography or graphic design, it was between those two subjects um, when I was at college. Uh, and then kind of looking at different universities and looking to study photography. That was when I started to kind of see, oh, okay. A, my mum was very supportive uh, and my dad just didn't really know how to support me, but he, he obviously loved me and he wanted me to do well and kind of follow my passion. But it was just completely alien to kind of where my family come from. My dad's from, um, he came from Bangladesh. He's the first generation in his family to, to be bored and he's the eldest uh, out of seven or eight siblings I'm trying to remember that uh, I've got a lot of aunties and uncles um but just kind of give you that, that background so like for him his way out from coming out of um kind of Bangladesh and kind of being a, you know immigrant to this country education was that kind of ticket to freedom I suppose so that was his upbringing so obviously me being born in the UK and that my upbringing being here have different and I'm hugely grateful for my parents for what they've given to me but it's also recognizing that my future is going to be different and kind of the opportunities that are available in the UK are going to be different as well 
So when I kind of went down the path of wanted to explore my creativity, and this is what I was really passionate about, and even since as a, as a young age, I knew I wanted to go through life with something I'm passionate about. I didn't want to go through a career, spend how many hours of my life doing something I didn't enjoy just for the money, because I feel like money was going to come from passion. And a new passion, my passionate kind of um, outlet was photography. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting conversation to kind of say, I'm doing photography. This is what I'm going to study. This is what I'm going to do. Um, get, managed to get into a photography course at Sydney University, which I'm hugely grateful for. Um, but yeah, it was I just stop. Can I, can I go back to what I'm, I yeah. really think? Because I think oh, there'll sure. be listeners um, and people who watch on YouTube right now who, who may have this conversation coming up with mm. either family or their partner, or they want to have this conversation that's going to win their mind, whether you're calling it listeners or not, that that language that I'm using, but you're you're looking to break a generational narrative. You're looking to step yeah. outside your tribe. And when I say tribe, I mean tribe is that that family unit or the people who brought you up, whoever, however you identify that. But you are looking to break a tradition of your tribe. And that's what we're doing. And the reason I say that is because when we talk about tribal behavior, actually, it's not normally safe. You know, if we go back to Sabretooth Tigerland, it wasn't safe for us to be outside our tribe. So it does yeah. take courage to break away from our tribe. It does take courage to do something different from our tribe, even if we don't want to break away from the tribe, because you are changing some of the narratives of the tribe. And some of your tribe, as always happens, could abreact. And we say abreact because actually they're wondering what your change means back to them. You know, how, if Nisha does something different, mm. what does that mean about me? So can you share with us how you actually started that conversation? Were you worried? Were you happy? Were you nervous about having the conversation? And how does someone navigate sitting down or standing up, however you want to do it, and having that conversation with their tribe? Oh, it's really tough. And like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was really hard. Okay. Um, the, the kind of the breaking point, uh, and I think most people experience this after leaving university. I had a lot of success at university. I managed to get in my final year, uh, managed to do like a Dragon's Den type entrepreneurial pitching where I um, kind of pitched to get some funding for my um, business idea. So I managed to get £2,000 from the university and I thought, oh, okay, I feel good. People believe in my business idea. I'm not just some random person. Like people think I've got bones to this. So, you know, it's not just me thinking on wishful thinking. Um, it has got actual legs to it. So leaving my final final year with that kind of investment and kind of thinking, yeah, you know what, I'm going to start my photography business. I feel good about this. Um, but then coming back after, you know, the bubble of university years, living their independent life, uh, I moved back home for a few months. And that's kind of when the cracks started to show because I lived three years of being really independent. I'd grown from an 18 to a 21 year old. In those years, I've kind of become my own person, my own woman. And then moving back into my parents' house is like, and I'm, I've got a strong personality and my parents have got their own personalities. So <laughs> that's when, when we had those deep discussions about, and it wasn't more, more so my mum, it was more so with my, with my dad. And those deep discussions of like, this is my career path, like, you know, I, I am really serious about doing photography and having a career in photography and setting my own business because the photography industry predominantly are freelancers. You have to be able to know how to work as, as a young business and that. And there's barely any jobs as, you know, working in a career or nine to five. 
So I said to my parents, like, I, I want to start my own business and I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start it. Can I have some space in the house to be able to do this whilst I find my feet? Ideally, I want to find my own place and obviously move out of your house. I don't intend to stay at your, bed, at your place. Um, but can I have the support? And that's where it was really difficult because they just didn't know how to do that. They just weren't sure how to kind of support me. But they loved me. But at the same time, they were just so confused about everything. And they just wanted me to have a normal nine to five job where you go to work, you do your work job, you come back and that's it. They didn't understand that money in business is a full-time thing especially when you're starting up it's 24 7 and I was very intense with it I just wanted to get going I just was itching just to start I had my funding uh, investment and I just wanted to use it um so yeah don't get me wrong there was lots of um heated conversations and stuff um just at the beginning journey but I think as soon as I was able to get um so my kind of career started off I managed to get a graduate position at my university and be able to fly the nest and go back to Southampton again, actually. Um, and that's kind of when, after having that space away from, I think, because there's just so many personalities in one house and it all kind of bubbled over. When I was able to move away and get onto the career ladder and my parents started to see like, oh no, she's got a proper job. She's kind of like working on the career ladder. I think having that space and distance um, and time apart, we were able to kind of really kind of figure out oh, okay, you are really serious about your photography. And I was able to get a second round of investment. There was a, a Sonant Lab, which is like local enterprise partnerships where they invest in young entrepreneurs. I went for that, which is a second round of funding. And that's kind of when I managed to get 5,000 to invest in my business. So at this point, I had 7,000 pounds to kind of really start the business. And that's kind of when my parents start to realise, oh, she's really serious about this. The fact that I showed initiative to go out there and fend it myself. I didn't ask my parents for funding. Um, I think just showing tenacity and just um, intuition and just the way just to go about it and just self-starting, I think that's kind of really showed, oh, okay, no, she's doing it herself. And I, and also there was an element of like wanted to prove people wrong. Um, definitely beginning where I felt like everyone's, there's a lot of naysayers. Like I remember a family friend saying, oh, you're going to fail if, if you start a photography business and really negative words, just, just not very encouraging at all. Um, and I think it just came from a place of fear or a place of just not really understanding where I was coming from. Um, I don't know whether they're weirdly trying to protect me to saying, oh, you're going to fail, so just don't bother starting, so don't wait to see you fail, or whether they were just, I don't know, envious that I was had that passion and they want, I wanted to go for it. But that definitely fired me and fueled me in the early stages to get to where I am. So I think that's kind of how that kind of progressed when I, once my parents started, especially my dad, um, started to see where I was going with it. That's kind of when the support, like, oh, okay, I, I get that you're sufficient you're financially independent you've got your own career and your life and you you're doing really well and I'm proud of you and it was those moments when I realized oh okay yeah no, that's kind of we're, we're good you've got that so going back to younger Nisha because at 21 it would be very easy for us to have an intuition of what we wanted to do with our business and our life it'd be very easy for us to have that but also very easy with our I mean we do call them tribal elders and coaching in terms of you know parents are the restricted tribal elders and aunties and anybody else who may be older than us but actually technically seem to be wiser than us for you to have changed your position for you to have bent um to almost let go of your values of passion being your lead 
and gone to a point of safety, which is potentially where people were trying to guide you towards. How mm. did you have the fortitude to, I want to say, I don't like to stick to your guns, but it's a phrase that we often use. And obviously you'd already said once someone said you couldn't, then that acts as that, right then, I'm going to show you. But before that, how did you have the internal strength to be able to articulate and stay your course as you built your legacy, even if you didn't use that word right then when you were 21, how did you do that as a younger woman? Oh, that's a good question. I think I think throughout life, people have always underestimated me, even if it's just little microaggressions here and there. Mm. And I think that kind of narrative built up to the point where I was ready to really kind of soar and ready to just really go for it. Um, and I think those little experiences um, kind of just made me want to prove people wrong even more so. So I think mm. that's kind of where internally that came from. Um, whether it's, at, you know, external, you know, I don't see people who look like me do what I do, whether it's kind of people on my photography course kind of saying things or whether it's people like, I know, just, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like specific examples, but um, just, People look at me and think, oh, you're really small and you're an Asian woman. You know, what have you got to offer? That kind of attitude. And you're in a room full of like um, just well, I have actually been in a room full of pinstriped middle aged white men. And I stick out like a sore somewhere in my bright, colorful clothes and just being really knocked <laughs> one out. And um, you kind of feel that this is really odd. But at the same time, I'm, I, I'm equally been invited to be here. And I have every right to be here because I've earned my place and I've worked hard to be here. And I think all those little kind of moments in life kind of kind of made me feel, yeah, no, I, I just really want to do this. And I think that passion was so deep inside me to really go for it. I think that's kind of what really pulled me through because even like people like some of my housemates as people on the course were just like what you, you know you're doing all of this or like really you know in a way of just like oh I didn't know I could I didn't know you had it in you to do that like that's not normal for you know students to do that just to get investment and just go and make their own business kind of thing um the courses you you do your three years you get a job and you kind of figure out what you want to do in your 30s 20 20s is for you know living life to the full and don't get me wrong that's true but also get on the career ladder and work your way up and stuff and I think um yeah I just I feel like I just really had it deep inside me. And, and there's also, I think also I'm very competitive, like between my brother and I <laughs> as well. Like he was, I felt like he was the golden child. He probably hate me for saying this. Um, but I feel like between the two of us, and him being the eldest son and stuff, I feel like there was this weird element of me of just like, I just want to create my own path. I just want to do my own thing separate from everyone else and just do something that makes me really happy. Um, I think that it was also an element of that growing up, and that's I still have with me. What now where I am in, in my career, in my life, I, you know, that's not something a driving force as such, because I feel like I've established myself, but definitely in the early days, in my early 20s, I was definitely very fiery and wanted to kind of just get going, which helped me to where I am now. So, you know, definitely have to thank young Anisha for that. So when you, it's interesting, so listeners, go and listen to the episode, if you haven't already, with the West, Kelly and James West, because James talks about being the golden child in his family. And mm. what's interesting about you saying that you are almost the anti-golden child, that, there was, that was somebody else's label for your sibling, 
it's interesting to see both sides of this, of when one has the label of the golden child, one doesn't have the label of the golden child. Actually, as we create legacy, how it can fuel both people in different ways. Mm. It's really interesting from that point of view. Yeah, I'll have to listen to that. I feel like James and I have got similar personalities as well. So, um, yeah, I'll have to catch up with him and ask him what his thoughts are being gone transfer. Yeah, it would be interesting. But one thing you just said as well that is so interesting to me because it's actually a term that's misused. Your fat mate, your housemate had said to you, it's not normal. Now, this is something that comes up all the time in the coaching world. Actually, what they mean is it's not common. Mm, And when we transpose those two words, what are we actually saying to someone when someone actually means, oh, actually, it's uncommon for someone at university to set up a business. It's almost empowering because you're like, I'm different. I'm doing Mm. something differently. I'm setting my own path. When we say it's not normal, it makes you feel like you aren't doing something that's correct. It can. And that can be the rebel part in you that can be activated because you're like, right, someone's told me I'm not normal. And then hang on. Here I come. I'm going to prove you wrong. But actually, that subtle change in language, and we can do it as adults, we can often say what we actually mean is it's uncommon as to it's not normal. And actually, what is normal? Because that's a perspective issue, isn't it? And it's, it's, imagine now, and if someone had said to you, oh, that's uncommon, that's uncommon for someone of your age to start a business, do you think it would have landed differently with you to uncommon to it's not normal? Hmm. Maybe. I felt like I wasn't normal anyway, so it didn't matter too much, I suppose. I, was all, I always felt a little bit different growing up anyway. I'd always be the odd one out, kind of especially predominantly living in um, kind of white areas, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'd always stand out and I just I had that growing up. So it didn't m- mean too differently anyway, because I was different from the get-go. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't. Maybe, I think. I think it would have sounded more supportive, I suppose, if people said it was like, oh, it's uncommon. Um, But that's great that you're doing that. Whereas I think, yeah, I think some of the people I was surrounded by, um, which, yeah, probably envious. And I think that's probably looking back at it and just get rid of that kind of toxic kind of um, types of people, which is not the kind of thing that you want to help you grow. So, yeah, managed to find the right tribe now, definitely. Um, But yeah, back then I was just... Yeah, I'm just going to shut it out and not kind of think that way, I suppose. So for anyone who is, let's just say 21 or younger. Now, I remember my 21 years year old self, and I have a story to share on this too. Uh, if anyone is 21 years and younger, whether, and it doesn't matter, university, college, school, didn't finish school, I, I, I'm not talking about what your level of education is, but anyone 21 years and younger who wants to set up a business, what would you advise them to if actually setting up a business they feel as part of their legacy creation, even if they don't use those words? What would be your advice to them or to yourself as younger Nisha right now? Oh, good one. Okay. Um, one thing I do try and encourage, especially when I do like talks and stuff to students, is to get there as early as possible. Find just find the right people that you want to be inspired by. It doesn't have to be people you want to start a business with, but just people that feel and think similar to you in the sense of like, wanting to go out there and try something and explore and experiment I feel like a lot of startups don't even get started because they're too afraid to fail or they're too afraid to experiment I feel like finding the right communities would really help you with that so I think when I was really fortunate to find 
um, kind of like entrepreneurial societies when I was at university, really seek that out. It doesn't have to be at university. There's loads of local um, meetups. I think more so in the cities. I think I suppose it's quite hard to do it um, when you're out in sticks, but even online, like the, those loads of things are like Zoom and stuff nowadays, isn't it? find those kind of networking groups uh, and I'm, as I'm kind of doing different networking groups I'm always start finding younger people than me which is amazing to see like the new generations coming through and like you know it's not just a room full of older people which which is great you've got that big age kind of wealth of you know experience and expertise and viewpoints so surrounding yourself with people um, who are different to you but also similar I know that sounds a bit um, no same but different same but different yeah, yeah definitely like you need to find people similar that you feel supported by and you feel like oh yeah I'm represented but at the same time it's really good to find people who are completely different to you because then you get completely different perspectives so I think the one thing I would say is to young people is to just seek out there's social media there's so many events like go and meet up or go and like event by and there's so many different events happening locally that you could just like you know what just go for it even if it's really scary one of the things I would say like a lot of times just contact the um the organizer and just see you know can I meet up with you five minutes before the event starts just so I can be introduced to some people just little things like that if you are a bit kind of like shy or it's a bit kind of like scary to to get started that's the best way I think where referrals come from or where opportunities come from is from people that you know and trust and to get involved in the community is the best way to do that. So however young you are, it's no it's no early to start. You can just get started whenever you're ready. And, and I'm going to say, as someone who's over 40, I would definitely say we've got decades of doing it. Most people I ever meet say they wish they'd started younger. Most mm. people who start a business wish they'd started younger. And other people, because I always have so much of my time, I donate to do pro bono work. So whether I'm doing mentoring at the university or I'm doing different things. And um, one of the things I will say, if you are of a younger age, find there are so many um free available resources so finding mentors and mm. one of the things I will say is because I have mentored a lot of younger people at universities at colleges and I do some more now is find someone who's got real life business experience not just theory yeah yeah totally yeah. <laughs> Nisha your yes was like I'm getting where you're coming from with this because <laughs> It is fine having a business plan. It is fine having these pages and pages and pages and pages of how you're going to make your business work. Entrepreneurs, our mindset tends to be a little bit different. And someone who's done it, who will mentor you. And again, most people, you go to network and you just have asked them a question. They'll they'll be on it. They'll tell you a lot of this stuff. Not because they're a coach and you're you're not paying for their services, because you're just chatting. And like most people have been through this, is real life experience if you want to have success quickly. And I don't mean that you need to be a millionaire by the time you're 30. You may want that, you may not. But I'm saying of the way to make your journey easier, the way to start a business that's got a healthy profit margin at the start. I've yeah. worked with businesses and when you run the numbers, it, it is, it's a revenue-based business that doesn't have enough margin to actually ever give that person enough room to breathe as an entrepreneur. They, they, they're just not in there. They're going to basically, yeah. you've created a job for yourself um Nisha you're nodding on that one uh, <laughs> and we can do these things but also many entrepreneurs who will mentor as well will tell you the quickest way to even set up a business like the fundamentals of how you register a business and what insurance that you need and all these little tricks and ticks and hacks and everything else that we know it's so 
it's such a different experience working with someone who's been a mentor and has been an entrepreneur and has had success because they know so much of this information rather than the theory books. And studying business is great. I'm never going to take away from that. But if you, it's different when you start your own business. Oh, yeah. 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 Entrepreneurs, we are a very friendly bunch. Most people will tell you most things if you just ask them and getting yourself in the room. Nisha, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Now I'd say more of an ambivert. Oh, nice. Okay. So for listeners who don't understand what that means, can you explain? So going through life, I'd always thought I was an extrovert and I, I, I still probably identify more that, that way. Like my um, MBI, MBTI type is ENFP, okay. so the yep. more extrovert. But they do say ENFPs are more so introverted leaning. And as I'm getting older as well, I really need that time to recharge. So a lot of people, a lot of extroverts, they thrive from being in a room full of energy or other people and they bounce off from that energy. Whereas they say for introverts, they kind of find the energy within um, and they need that kind of time to kind of recharge. As I've been getting older and realizing, actually, why do I get so tired about going to constant events or doing loads of weddings and stuff? Because I haven't given myself that time to be judged. And I realized I really enjoy being in my own company. So Ambivert is pretty much a bit, bit of both, really. Um, so I, I love being around people. I love getting that buzz and that energy. But equally, I feel like I need that time to, for myself um, to reflect and just kind of be with my own company. So yeah, Ambivert's a bit of both. And, and most people tend to be a bit of both and just different places on the spectrum of, of who you identify with. Um, how has you now understanding your personality type in terms of being an ambivert, how has that changed how you're creating your legacy in your business? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like in my early 20s, in my mid 20s, I was very keen to reach these certain status milestones and I don't know why I wanted to reach them because that's what the entrepreneurial kind of community said oh you need to get six figures or seven figures before you're 30 <laughs> oh you need to be in the Forbes 30 before 30 less then all these things you're just like oh yeah I need to do all these things before I'm 30 uh you kind of like and then you kind of think well why I don't know why I need to do that and is this the kind of legacy I want to leave just because I just work myself to the bone just because I've, I could say I'm a six-figure business, like I don't know what's the point in that when it's not making me happy. And I think getting older and also during the pandemic and having that time to force to be by myself, I suppose, um, and like, oh, I need to be comfortable in my own company because, you know, I've been so used to just being around people all the time or seek events, opportunities to be around people. Um, I'm realizing, oh no, actually, I really like this time by myself and really have this deep reflection and really work on what it means to kind of kind of enter a new stage in my life. So over the pandemic, um, bought a house, started to put roots down, all those kind of thoughts and like, oh, I'm gonna be here for like you know 10, 15 years, whatever, like long-term thinking, not just like moving here and there and really kind of planning out my future and that's kind of where that legacy element really comes in like okay I'm gonna see I see myself living in this area for x you know years what can I do to impact the local community what can I do to get involved or whatever and all those kind of questions start to kind of tie in with where I am in my life I kind of 
thinking about like, you know, going into my thirties, do I want kids? Do I want to start a family? What do I want to do? And all these kind of, imagine loads of other people, similar kind of milestones in their, you know, where they are in their life, uh, late twenties or whatever, kind of think in a similar way. All of this stuff has started to kind of come together and obviously the backdrop of lockdown and everything. So I think that's kind of the, the amber version, I suppose, starting to kind of, that's how I was thinking more so that way. And actually it's really good for deep thinking and it's really helped me think how I want to have a work-life balance. So last year I worked ridiculously hard and my, my best financial year, partly because of the, all the lag from the previous mm. years and catching up. But my mental health and my physical health was my worst. Mm. Like I'd been the unhealthiest I'd been in a very long time. And coming into this year, I reflected on, oh, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to, I can't see myself con- continuing that journey because it's going to, I don't know, hope it might kill me. Like, you know, I don't know whether that, that, that was the right path to be on. And having that internal reflection and going through doing a house renovation uh, amongst all of that, it kind of seeing the physical transformation of the house made me reflect upon myself as well. I mean, I think I'm putting all this time and money into the house, but I'm not doing it for myself. And I'm, I'm the most important person to myself because if I can't look after myself, I can't look after other people. Um, so that kind of having that internal reflection really helped with kind of seeing the bigger picture. And I suppose that ties in with legacy and knowing what what message do I want to give to people so that's kind of this year is more a lot more working on myself and yeah if I don't have my best financial year that's fine as long as I can still live comfortably and I still have the lifestyle that I want and be happy and passionate I was worried that I was losing my passion for my creativity last year because I was so yeah I had symptoms of burnout um whereas this year I feel like trying to get that right balance don't get me wrong I'm still getting there but uh yeah it's just trying to find that balance that works for you isn't it I mean listeners to the podcast will know that I use work-life blend uh one of the reasons I use blend rather than balance is only because for me balance is a yoga pose and it can set some people up for feeling like they're trying to achieve something they never quite can achieve because Mm, it's it's yeah, it's this like finite, you're in balance or you're not in balance. And if you're out of it, you're out. Whereas actually most entrepreneurs will know in certain seasons, and I do call them seasons in our year, there'll be certain work-life blends when you've got more work involved, especially if you're working the world of weddings, though there just are certain months that you have more work. And the blend would be, because it's your choice, so everyone should be empowered. When you choose your work-life blend and that month is more work, then that's your choice. Whereas if we said balance, you can't look at that and go, I'm not in balance. Because you know it, it on paper, it doesn't look, when you look at your calendar, it doesn't look like you're in balance. But yeah. there's also times when, as an empowered entrepreneur, that your blend will be much more rest, much more reflection, much less work. So it's why I use blend, because we, everybody have a choice. Apart from, the only other, my caveat has only been the pandemic, is postponements. Because a lot of the time that isn't our choice. We've created schedules that we never would create normally because we had delayed work that came in and things like this. So yeah. the last couple of years, and even this year's for some people in the wedding world, is still not their desired work-life blend because they've got layover um, work to do from the last couple of years. And But we do have a choice. We have a choice of our blend at any season in our entrepreneurial journey. I love the word blend actually now that you've said that like oh I should use that more because yeah you're right balance kind of it's very binary it's mm-hmm. either imbalanced or you're not and it's yeah. I'm about living life that isn't binary so I feel like blend is a is a nice word because it 
it's it's fluid isn't it, it kind it's of fluid and it's our choice at the end of the day it's our choice where they're actually we decide that that time and I don't subscribe to as an entrepreneur that there's these times never work hard I've never met an entrepreneur who who is passionate about what they do and they will get lost in their work as well because they love what they do um that doesn't work hard and actually that that work-life balance can make us feel like we shouldn't work hard and we shouldn't just somehow go do you know what I'm going to take a month off or two months off or no months off or whatever you want to do because the rebel and you will know Nisha we create our own rules as an entrepreneur that's why many of us do this so we aren't given a set of rules yeah yeah and I like that yeah (laughs) love it well try out try work-life blend and see how it kind of works for you okay yeah no I think yeah definitely it's like you said changing the language and the connotations behind language I think it's really important so uh, yeah I like that I'm definitely gonna be using that more brilliant so just before we wrap up our conversation today as you look to create your legacy going forward what are your three non-negotiables to creating your legacy Nisha oh this is a really tough one <laughs> when you uh, mentioned this earlier oh, I was really struggling I think I think the number one is passion because mm. that's what got me on this journey in the first place yeah um I feel people having the right people around you absolutely yeah well actually I gave this speech and when I was I uh, had a the I had to give a commencement speech when I was uh, when I got an honorary degree from university and I was struggling to figure out what to say and I said three p's so passion people and perseverance mm. I thought that those three things have gotten me through kind of where I am I feel like it's the same for legacy in terms of even if you kind of knock on loads of doors and it's not nothing's happening, just keep persevering, keep going for it. So I feel like those three P's have gotten me through kind of like just life in general or just gotten to help me where I am today. Um, so I think those three values are going to stay the same for, for legacy. Yeah, passion, people and, oh, and perseverance um, are the three things to kind of really get me through. And I think, yeah, hopefully that's the... The legacy that people are going to respond to as well and they kind of feel the same way okay so that's the nisha hack three p's of success and by the way if you are watching on youtube not necessarily if you're on the podcast if you are watching on youtube i would say sometimes that something just happened in nisha's background at a very interesting moment but if i was in a coaching session with nisha i would say and what could that mean to you so if you're what if you're listening on the podcast come over to youtube and watch this <laughs> just have a little bit of an intrigue about what just happened but thank you so much for being here with me Nisha as any time I've ever talked to you it is a pure joy to talk to you but also we always go to those deeper levels of what sits under joy as well so thank you so much for being here oh no thank you so much I've had a lovely time with you as always Laura so no my pleasure thank you so much it has been said that with a big enough lever you can move the world I've spent my life figuring out how to use that lever to move my own world. And in doing so, I help extraordinary entrepreneurs do exactly the same for themselves. So I want to offer you a perspective on what gives you the greatest leverage in your life to create wealth, health, and happiness. It's called legacy. And the lever to your legacy is within your reach. If you'd love to know more about this, go to laurapainstanley.com forward slash legacy. Thank you.